Just to make sure that we make the speakers um, human, this morning I, I drug my sleeve through the jam. <laughs> and um, it just reminded me when we were in seminary, we used to take care of families that were of our profs when they'd go away. And we had this one family, had six kids. And I learned so much from Nell because she had you know, everything pretty regimented for a family of seven, actually, or eight. Um, but six kids, and one of the rules was you couldn't have jam on Sunday morning because it would be on the person's face or their clothes or whatever, and no time to change, and so my new rule, no jam when you're speaking. <laughs> so one more note before we get started is that the handout that you have is uh, for a, a tool that you're going to use this afternoon or at another time, but the back of it is great for notes if you want to take notes, but just hang on to that because we're gonna, that will be the last thing that we give you this morning. Is it mean for me to say I'm glad the jam is on you? <laughs> so often it is me, you know, and it's like, how did you get that on you? I don't know. You know, at least you know how you got it there. I do you know now. So <laughs> this morning we want to talk to you not about a dream marriage because uh, we think that uh, the only dream marriage that really existed is in Prince's Bride. A dream within a dream. And yet the truth of that concept... The truth of that concept actually goes back to the very beginning of time, to the very beginning of the Bible, when God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, had a dream about revealing Himself as a God of relationship, a God of love, and He revealed that dream in the dream marriage in the garden uh, through the marriage of Adam and Eve. So we don't declare to have a dream marriage. We're working on it. We're 45 years deep into it and uh, having more fun than anybody should when you're this old and, uh, and, and just, just having a great time. But for us, that idea of marriage began and the great adventure began November 12, 1977. The great adventure launched. When was it for you? When did you launch that great adventure that you're living that you call our marriage? Helen Keller made the statement. She said that, uh, that life is a thrilling adventure or nothing at all. We're convinced after 45 years, and actually throughout the 45 years, is that marriage ought to be the same thing, that marriage ought to be a thrilling adventure or nothing at all. Let's be all in. Let's step into this thing. Marriage is that idea of the confluence of two lives coming together in the most vulnerable context you could even imagine. When two rivers come together like that, see if I'm, when two rivers come together like that, it's called white water. The rapids that are produced in that white water are placed in six different categories according to the, the, the amount of adventure and risk involved in that. So the idea for us to keep in mind here is that on our wedding day, we stepped into a grand, great adventure, the grand adventure that God created from the beginning, the great adventure that we adopted on that wedding day when we stepped into what God has for us. It all revolved around first love. What drove us in the very beginning, the passion that drove us together and drew us together to the, to the point that we would say, I'm all in, let's go for this and you made a commitment for the rest of your life. Weddings are a, a, sequential, a sequential ordering of first love. Now, that's the, that is the case in every society around the world. There is a sequence of weddings and marriage. Um, we are 
the only ones, we in the West, are the only ones that have tried to mix that up. Um, but the, the actual sequence that God intended was, and in some, in some uh, cultures, it's uh, an arranged marriage. So it's not first love. It's something that they develop, that they choose. Um, but for us in our culture, most people start with the first love of passion. And then came marriage, and then came Kurt and Rhonda with baby carriage. You know, that's how the song goes. Um, so when you fall in love, it is the driving force that leads you towards emotional oneness, spiritual oneness, a sexual oneness, and intimacy. And that is the marriage that God secures in the commitment of marriage, the design he had from the very beginning. Everything you experience on your wedding day the passion of the first love grabs your attention and gives you amazing ride, uh, however long that lasts, and we hope it lasts for your lifetime. But the passion of your first love rush presses you into, uh, through this fear of anxiety and hesitation. Begins to move us forward into that idea of what the long-term marriage looks like. Uh, the wedding vows are a strong bid for security because we can't live that level of intensity of first love for our entire life together. And so the vows give us the security and the commitment that's genuinely needed for a long-term marriage. The honeymoon becomes the afterglow. It is the, uh, the safe eddy in which these two powerful rivers that come together create a harbor of fun, romance, and intrigue during the honeymoon. But eventually, the honeymoon is over. You come home. The honeymoon ends and reality sets in. In-laws, bills, jobs, household chores. Uh, somebody's got to take out the garbage. The story shifts from an irresistible passion that drives your relationship to a sustained kind of love, uh, the commitment that your vows give you to hang in there for a lifetime, to create the safety that is needed to be authentic, to be genuine, to become real. You come home from the honeymoon and the real you comes out. Uh, unfortunately, so does the real you of your partner. As reality sets in, you know the honeymoon is over. And that phrase for us became very, very real. We knew the honeymoon was over. When? Uh, we came home from our honeymoon, and uh, Kurt had been living in this apartment that we were going to live in prior to, for three months before um, our wedding. And uh, we came home the week after our honeymoon, having a wonderful honeymoon. It had some glitches in it, but, you know, it was a, a, a really special trip up the coast. And we were only in our apartment a couple of hours, and there was a knock on the door. And two plainclothes policemen flashed their badges at me. And they said, we need to question you about a crime that was committed on last Friday, which was the wedding day. And, the wedding you know, was not the crime. My, this is, this. my heart was just like, you know, in my throat. And um, so he took, one took me to the kitchen, one took Kurt to the bedroom, and they questioned us. Of course, there were wedding gifts and wedding paraphernalia around the the apartment that kind of corroborated our, our story. But uh, then they apologized and left, but told us that there had been a robbery rape in our building the night of our wedding, and that's when Kurt disappeared. And the suspect, and, the suspect actually matched my profile. And matched Kurt's profile. And so um, they left. I fell apart. 
I said, I can't live here. <laughs> and I, you know, I just kind of lost it. And um, I can't just live, because I didn't have a car. Kurt would take the car every day to work, and I was going to be there without a car. And I was just like, I just can't live here. And it just got, you know, it accelerated into me saying probably the worst thing I've ever said to Kurt, and that was, my dad would never make me live here. <laughs> So much for maturity, you know? <laughs> but it was clear the honeymoon was over, and we had some repairing to do after that night. <laughs> so year after year, the, uh, the spirit of adventure begins to wane. Romance is replaced by responsibility and routine. Before long, you lose that couple pictured in your honeymoon pictures that you posted on social media. Your first love and passions maybe have been left behind. And for some, it was only a dozen pages on the calendar. For others, it was many, many winters that they have endured together. And the expression on the faces of the wedding portrait drops. And you ask your question, where did that couple go? That beautiful couple from the beautiful pictures. How did it happen? How did our first love disappear? Jesus had this kind of uh, picture in mind of marriage, growing cold or cool in his diagnosis of the church at Ephesus, when he said, and he called them out in uh, Revelations 2, um, when he said, I have, you have forsaken your first love. He says before that, I have this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. You have left your first love in this setting. He's talking about their spiritual romance with Jesus. You're doing all the work of a good church, but where's your heart? Is your heart for me? You have lost your desire, passion, and love for me. The love you had in the beginning, this is the marriage and romantic language that Jesus is using. And he uses that because that speaks to our hearts. That's something we know. Um, before we probably even know spiritual love and romance, we know um, human love from our parents and then from that person sitting next to you or uh, uh, the children that we uh, get to love in this life. And so love has, has had in the beginning this uh, beautiful passion that drives us. And he's saying, not only have you lost that for me, we think it can be also parlayed to have we lost that for each other. In the long-term marriage, and even in a short-term marriage, after reality sets in, do we nurture that first love experience? Do you remember what it was like when you first fell in love with Jesus? The, the things that stimulated uh, that first love experience for you and reminded you of that, uh, the idea of being uh, in quiet time with your Bible, contemporary worship songs that just kind of made you feel again that sense of love, uh, celebrate recovery meetings that, that reminded you of your brokenness, small group discipleship groups, that clean feeling of just being forgiven. And it was like, yes, that is what it means to love Jesus. And that was what Tim was talking about last night is, is refreshing that awe and wonder that we have of of what Christ has done for us, how God has reached our direction. And what was the nature of your first love as a couple? Uh, think about that just for a moment. What were the things you did in the beginning? What made your heart sing when you first fell in love? 
one of our fun stories. We weren't uh, officially in love yet, but um, we worked together at camp. And um, I was the girls' dean of the high school camp, and he was the guys' dean. And every Thursday, we would have volleyball tournaments for the students. And, um, but they gave us the worst court at camp. And it had rocks in it, and you know, it was a sand court, but it had rocks in it. You know, I mean, people are falling, and you know, it was, it was irritating just to even, you know, we had an injury almost every week. And, and so for his birthday that summer, uh, I took my day off, and I cleared that whole court of all the rocks and raked it and remarked it and didn't tell him about it. And then we came on Thursday, and voila. he didn't know I was in love with him. That <laughs> it took him a while. There, I'm a slow learner. The truth, the truth of the story is uh, the, the rocks and stuff had, had been cleared all to the side in some ways. And that was where I had to move and stand as I was refereeing these volleyball games. And I'm just you know, trying to watch the game. And I come out, and this thing has just been smoothed out. Uh, the really fun thing is we still live close to that camp, and we often will drive past that court, and that reminder comes back over and over again. <laughs> and uh, she continues to serve me in that way. So has the mundane, mundane nature of love caused a sense of adventure and, and wonder to atrophy in your relationship? Um, the responsibilities of parenthood, the job, the house, the in-laws... <coughs> This one's big. Irritability of little things. Can I hear an amen on that? <laughs> we let that play such a big part in, in our relationship with one another. Or the trauma of broken pieces and broken promises. It causes us to settle for an okay marriage instead of a, a marriage that is vital. So there is a door back to adventure, to first love, no matter how long you've been married. Really, no matter what has transpired, because we have a God of impossible things. Even with broken promises, God can create that, recreate that again. Not only did Jesus give a diagnosis to the church in Ephesus, but he gave a remedy for that as well, if you'll notice in the verse that Rhonda read to you. It is the idea of uh, what does it take, a remedy that fits the human soul, uh, that draws an individual to the person of Jesus in the beginning, but it also identifies uh, in the area of romance that draws the soul of a man to a woman and a woman to a man, the intimate bonding of souls. And the remedy is threefold. Threefold in when you have discovered that you have lost that first love, Jesus says, do this, remember from where you have fallen. Remember what it was like in the beginning. Again, back to that portrait hanging in your house, the wedding picture, that's the beautiful day that, uh, that you had seen the culmination of this sense of romance come together. And the portrait that is there, how often do you walk by that and stop and just remember that day and remember everything that led up to that day? Or maybe a better question is, how often do you pass by that, avoiding it intentionally because it has gone cruel? and maybe even cold in your relationship. Jesus said, if that is the case, remember, recall the past. Remember from where you have fallen. Think back to those days, to those places, to those songs, to those activities, to those words, to those cards, to those gifts, to all of the things that were part of the beginning of your relationship. And one of the key elements of that in first love experience is the idea of dreaming. 
And we're going to spend some time this morning talking about how to dream together to renew that first love. Jesus says, first remember what it was like when you dreamed about your wedding, when you dreamed about your honeymoon, when you dreamed about the new family you have, when you dreamed about the new home, when you dreamed about the new career, when you dreamed about that first vacation after honeymoon, when dreaming became part of just who you were. Remember that. And then next he says, turn around. This is actually the word uh, repent, which means turn completely around 180 degrees and go a different direction. The idea of coming back to that place of not falling in love again, but choosing to love again, choosing to pursue passion in your relationship, choosing to, to move in that direction. In recent days, uh, we have appreciated uh, most of the music, some of the music of Ed Sheeran. He's, he's got these great lyrics uh, for lovers. Uh, People fall in love in mysterious ways, maybe just a touch of the hand. For me, I fall in love with you every single day, and I just want to tell you where I am. So, honey, take me in your loving arms, kiss me under the light of a thousand stars, place your head on my beating heart. I'm thinking out loud, and baby, we found love right where we are. You know, we hear that, and it might be like, oh, maybe that means that uh, we need some refreshment. We need to remember to return because there was a day when that was the kind of words, the kind of thoughts you had for each other. This is the direction that we're headed, to remember, to turn around, and then to do again. To do again, to create a pattern of renewing that first love begins by doing some of the things that you did at the beginning. And so this morning, we really want to focus on that idea of dreaming together because it's such an important part of the romance experience, such an important part of, of first love kind of experience, the passion that is stimulated with, with you to get back to that first love that starts things, not just ends things. That's not just the mundane. Think about it for a minute. Without dreams, there would be no first date. There would be no first days of college. No graduate school, no first day of the job, no medical discoveries, no first day of vacation, no first voyages, no car trips, no flights. There would be no great adventures if there were not firsts. And so to return to that first love becomes an important part of who we are because one of the things that keeps that early love alive is the sense of dreaming, the question of what's next. After that first date when you realize, I think I'm falling in love, the, the next great adventure is the second date. Will there be another kiss, a wedding, a baby, a home, a house, a fifth anniversary, another baby, a family, a bigger house, uh, a weekly date night, a Hume Lake marriage retreat without the kids, a 25th wedding anniversary, a vacation without the kids, an empty nest, grandkids, a 50th anniversary, a new dream for us. What is next? What is your next great adventure? So today we want to give you like a framework uh, for dreaming. Um, and this is just a little piece of what we do in a whole weekend with couples at our Dream Master Conference. But um, to kind of return to that passion that comes from dreaming again, regardless of what season in life you are in. Um, and it's, it's kind of, I like, I like word pictures, so I'm going to give you a few of my word pictures today. But one of them is, it's like a muscle. It's like... Um, <clears throat> After COVID, I wasn't doing my routine that I did for working out, and I had some atrophy after that. Did anybody else experience that? Um, there was a, a break in my routine, and so I didn't do what I was doing before, 
This fits what we're, do we're talking about today. And so there was some atrophy. I think we do that with dreaming because the big dreams are in the beginning, you know, the, the career, the family, the marriage, the, the things that um, are really empowering us as, as young people. And we, we attack those. We go for those in a big way. And they take a lot of energy. I think I like to say children take 150%, you know, because they do uh, if you let them. <laughs> I think that's what Tim was also talking about last night. We let the kids rule the household instead of, you know, this is, this is the primary relationship, and we're going to launch you into your own um, relationships um, and life. And so um, this is a, an opportunity for you to dream that get that dream muscle working again, at least for maybe one dream that you'll leave Hume Lake with that you could work on together that's going to reignite for you some of this passion that may have gone wanting. Dreaming uh, can be natural to us early in life, but it often is lost uh, as we experience hardships like trauma, failure, disappointments, unfulfilled expectations, Routine, loss of routine. We often shift to a linear processing in our relationship. What do we have to do right now? What has to be done this week? Um, who, you know, who's paying those bills? You know, just what's in front of us instead of looking beyond what's in front of us. Um, I like to think about when we were children, uh, pretty much everyone had some kind of dreams or things that they imagined and, um, and, you know, thought maybe that would be their life work. Um, for me, it was, I wanted to be Julia Child. You're going to laugh. You know, why did she want, she's a kid, she wanted to be Julia Child. Well, the year that Julia Child's program came on TV, black and white, I was 12, and my mother was very sick with her last pregnancy, my sister. And so I became the cook for the family at 12. And I would watch Julia, and I was just mesmerized by her. Her voice is quite mesmerizing. <laughs> but what she did in the kitchen was just amazing. Of course, I didn't do French cooking, but I would uh, narrate my cooking in the kitchen <laughs> as I was doing it. I was 12, you know. <laughs> but those are dreams that, you know, we're free to have. That this seems ridiculous now, but, but what were the dreams you had as a child? That's a good starting place, even though that maybe didn't transpire into something in your real life now, it was the beginning of dreaming or maybe the last place you dreamed. Right now, uh, answer that question in your own mind. What was it that you dreamed of being when you were a kid? Lock that in your mind for a conversation later today with your spouse. Maybe bring that up at the uh, lunch table, the dinner table. Ask the people around you, what did you dream about? Engage that idea of, uh, of what it really looked like. Uh, as a child, when, when there were no limits, when, there were, when thinking out of the box just happened, when imagining was what you did every day until people said, you can't do that. Don't think that way. Don't color outside the lines. What did you want to be? That's what we want to return to, to get to that place. Because now what we find out more often than not is that, uh, that dreaming it is the last thing and not the first thing on our list. We're really good at planning it and then doing it or just doing it without a plan. 
Seldom do we take time aside to just dream. And so that's why we thought this was such a great time while you were away, <clears throat> while the kids were not available, not to take your whole afternoon, but part of your afternoon, and just spend some time dreaming about what the next great adventure is for the next season and the season after that, and maybe the seasons beyond that. What is there for you? One of the stories I love best is the story of uh, one of the past presidents of Yale University who made this statement. He said, unless I sit at least... 30 minutes a day with my feet on my desk thinking of the future of Yale University, I am no longer leading the university, I'm only managing what is already here. The remedy is turn around, dream like you did in the beginning, first love kind of thinking. Uh, just right now with your spouse, turn to your spouse, what were some of the early dreams? When you were first in love, when you were first engaged, when you were first married. What were some of those early dreams that you had together? Turn with your spouse, 30 seconds, talk together. It's hot up here. All right, that's it. Uh, we, all we want to do is to stimulate your thinking and your conversation right now because what we want to do is to encourage you to think about the future, not just the past, to remember forgotten dreams of the past, blow the dust off of some of those dreams that you've set, it, set aside or have been set aside for you, as well as to dream some new dreams for the next season for the future together. Each marriage in the room is unique. If, if everybody shared what they, those dreams were, some of them would be similar, but all of them would be unique to who you are as a couple. Because even though there are seasons to marriage and there are seasons to life, every one of us fits into a unique place in those seasons as each spouse masters the art of togetherness, gains new insights, faces crises, faces the realities of who they are, acts on problems. Solomon said this, there is a time for everything under heaven, a season for every activity. God has made everything beautiful in its time. In marriage, that's as though two soloists come together in a wedded duet, and they together, they pick up the pace of each other, moving into this booming sense of, of from the beginning of life, of the, the, the early day, days to the momentum of midlife, on into grandparenting, empty nest, all of those things that come with the latter years of life. Wherever you are, you are in a season, but that season is uniquely expressed in who you are. In the midst of that, human nature stumbles. We tend to balk at the challenges of the present and especially the challenges of the future. To ignore the inevitability and to refuse and to anticipate change, that thwarts harmony if we don't do that. Marriage is smoothed out when we do three things. 
where we began with the idea of those rapids in the river, the idea of first love, passionate love, driving love, emotional love, all of that is true. And the, the, the beauty of that is that God has created our brains in such a way that he has intentionally caused us to move into that place of first love as we fall in love, as we become drunk in love, that we lower our inhibitions, we enter into the relationship. But the truth of the matter is nobody can live that way for the rest of their lives. It'll wear you out. It's like, the, it's like the, 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 the raft or the canoe in the rapids. You can't run rapids for the full length of the, of the river. You have to keep in mind that the river has a full length, that there are rapids and there are eddies, and there is a place where the lazy river seems like it's happening right there out in the middle of nature. There's times where there's branches over the trees, and you're ducking branches, you're going along the river, and then you're back in the rapids again, and it all continues to be this idea. So to be able to, to really smooth out life, you need to see marriage as a whole, the perspective. That we're talking about the whole river, not just running the rapids. But we don't want to, to, to ignore how passionate, how thrilling, how much adventure there is in running the rapids and having just got through the rapids and just look at each other and go, <laughs> we did it. No, it's more like this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or knowing as you're watching the water and you know the terrain that there's rapids ahead and you begin to prepare for those rapids in whatever way is necessary in the unique cycle of who you are as a couple. You need to understand as well as you're moving down the river that, that problems team, uh, tend to cluster in certain places along the river as they do in life. You get to the place of, uh, of, of early family. And we, we, we read it and we talked about the idea of a baby comes along and then another baby, a new house, and then a bigger house. And, and all of a sudden, it's like we're managing all of these things and it's so easy to lose each other. Recognize that if that is the season of your life, that's normal. But you have to be in charge of that, not letting normal overcome you, as Rhonda was talking about and Tim was talking about last night, that you are the one that is navigating the river. The river is not navigating you. As soon as you lose your oar, as soon as you are floating freestyle in the river, it's dangerous. Understand how problems tend to cluster at midlife. Hormone changes for her and him. Changes that happen in, in your career. Uh, you're, you're now taking care of your kids and adolescents and your parents as they're at the, at the dawning part or the, the ending part of their lives. How do you answer things for them? You begin to, to wonder what's next for us. What about retirement? Do we have enough for retirement? Things begin to cluster. Understand those things cluster together. It's normal. And then third, face your own unique cycles. You know, you may be in a season of... Uh, uh, a, an early season of midlife. Uh, the fact is, your career was highly successful. You didn't have kids, so you're not waiting for an empty nest. Uh, you, you have had an opportunities that nobody else has in your uh, season of marriage, and you're ready for new adventures on the other side of retirement. Or you might be the other person in midlife, and it's like, okay, I don't even know if we're going to have enough money to retire. Uh, will, will our kids always create this much pain in our lives? When we have friends who are, who are taking care of their 101-year-old mother, waiting for her not to die, but for their responsibilities there to be done. In early marriage, you find the same thing is true. You might, you might be one of, those, uh, one of the, the first to have kids in your group of peers or the last. If you're the first in the, those early stages of marriage, that early season of marriage, if you're the first, it's like, okay, why, don't, why doesn't anybody ever call us to go out? 
Why is it always us and everybody else is over here? Or if you're the last one, it's like everybody else is in the family way and we still have all this freedom and they're always talking about their kids. They're talking about their, the issues with their kids. They're talking about potty training. They're talking about nursing. They're talk and you're sitting there going, if we could just have kids. Face I the yeah, I wanted to add something with that just uh, because it's another word picture that... Um, initially came to me because we are past midlife. We are, have launched our children, but um, and how to how to settle my heart in that because some of you women might be similar to me in that uh, I didn't have a a booming career. I always worked. Uh, I took a job that uh, complemented our family and complemented our ministry. And so um, I didn't have a lot vested in the, the jobs that I took. My family and the ministry were, you know, my focus. And um, I think this, this example also, this word picture, is instructive if you aren't in midlife, if you aren't launching your family, you're not uh, empty nesters, because it tells us how we should be thinking about that time as it's approaching. Because the tendency is, because it takes so much energy to raise a family, to provide for a family, that fills our whole viewfinder, and we don't, we've lost this, and we don't have a dream that goes beyond that. And so all of our kids are, are um, distant from us in some way or another. Um, one is overseas in the Netherlands as a missionary with her family. Another one has chosen a different way of worship. He's an Orthodox priest. Um, and another one is a prodigal. And so this is, you know, my heart has just been searching. How do I, like, bring this together? It's so diverse. And, and God just gave me this beautiful analogy, which I'm going to share with you. And that is, um, on November 12, 1977, Kurt and I, at the direction of God as our producer and our director, put together a beautiful play. And we got to live that play. And we added some characters by his grace to that play. Real characters. <laughs> Two sons and a daughter. And there were ups and downs. There were, you know, we had a chronically ill child. We had learning disabilities. We, we had difficulties that we overcame together and challenges that beautifully God answered and drew us through. Well, now we're in a place where they have gone their own way. They have started their own plays. We're not main characters in those plays. Darn. That's really hard to grasp. Some of you are dealing that with, with your parents. Uh, we aren't the main characters in that play, so we don't know all the ins and outs. We're not going to know all the ins and outs. We're not even going to be advised by the ins and outs. Um, but they have a play. And we have given them a foundation to build their play on by the play that we have lived out. And so that has been a great way for me to understand the diversity in my family and how I respond to them. Um, but this play, this play continues. And that's why we're asking you to dream about something beyond launching the kids. Because you're not going to be the main character in that play. And it's kind of a problem if you are. <laughs> uh, you're not really doing your kids a favor if you're at their beck and call all the time. They need to have responsibility too. Do, do rescue them and give them a weekend away and all of that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if you don't have a life 
because you're so invested in helping your kids as adults, then this is getting lost. That's been so good for us to remind each other it's not our play. Uh, we're not the main character. There are times that it's like I want to come in with the, uh, you know, the old brimmer hat and the cane da, 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 in the <laughs> middle of their play, and Rhonda says, it's not your play. Uh, those of you that are younger, uh, just listen to uh, some folks that are saying, hey, listen, we helped produce your play, mom and dad say, but they do need to recognize you're the main characters. Uh, but you need to recognize as well that they helped produce that thing and got it going for you. And uh, the idea is, is that seasons provide stability and orientation. They help us to appreciate yesterday, to enjoy the moment, and to prepare for tomorrow, which becomes incredibly important to recognize the seasons. Uh, that's why yesterday and the last week has been so difficult, uh, because it's been so hot. You know, we, we get away with calling it Indian summer, uh, you know, because it's like, oh, it shouldn't be like this. It, you know, it should be fall. Uh, when, when seasons seem out of place, we need to figure out what's going on. So what are the dreams for this season? Um, discover each other's dreams of tomorrow. Don't be afraid of those. Um, I think a lot of times what we see with our parents' um, generation, uh, they were fearful of each other's dreams. And they were unwilling to join each other, maybe in a dream that wasn't initiated by them. And um, the beauty of, of the sacrifice of joining your mate in another dream that you didn't initiate but can find joy in. Um, the door is not locked. Um, the story is not over. You can dream again and have that sweetness back in your relationship. And that's what we're aiming at today. It's important to be aware, especially as uh, followers of Christ, that dreaming is a faith-based reality. Love this verse. Now, faith is the assurance of things, hope for the conviction of things not yet seen. Uh, doesn't that sound like your vows at your wedding? Uh, you, you have this passion that has driven your love to this day, and on that day, you have the assurance of things hoped for. Man, we're going to have a life different. We have a history of divorce in our family. It's not going to happen to us. We have the assurance that we have everything that it takes to accomplish what it is that God has called us to. We have the conviction of, that we're going to be able to get there. Marriage is a faith-based reality. Faith in God first who has called us together, faith in each other, and faith as we look at the future. And dreaming is a faith-based reality. Think with me for, for just a minute of what that looks like as we sit today in this present reality in 2022 and we look to the future for what God has for us as a couple. We look to the future for what God has for our marriage. We look to the future for what God has for our family. We look to the future for our career and for our ministry and our involvement in God's kingdom. And we begin to dream. We, dreaming moves us from the present reality to a future reality. And as we dream together... As we dream together, <laughs> oh, focusing. there we go, right, there as we is. dream together, <laughs> we find that, that dreaming brings hope to the journey and energy to the relationship, because dreaming is what we did when, it, when we were passionately in love, and so it brings hope to that idea that says, we can envision, we can dream, we can live by faith into a new reality that God has called us to, and then it brings that sense of of energy to the relationship. Passion is returned. Passion for each other, passion for life, the enthusiasm of what is, what is ahead. 
So we're going to give you the nuts and bolts of this. So the framework that we have borrowed from our Dream Master Conference, which is actually a whole weekend, we're just going to give you two parts of it. We'll give you the whole schema, but then we're just going to give you two parts that you're going to work on this weekend or as you go down the hill. Um, but really, what we're wanting to do is plant the seed to, to create in you a desire to become a lifelong dreamer. Kurt's dad was a LAPD cop, worked 25 years for the force, retired early at 50, sat in front of his TV on his Lazy Boy recliner for the next 39 years. We don't want that for you. <laughs> we didn't want that for us. And that's what sent us on this whole discovery process of dreaming beyond the initial dream. So envisioning the future as part of your marriage. For the sake of time, we're just going to do these, these two um, main ones, dream, dream storming and dream um, scheming. And um, no, it's dream staging. We're just going to do dream storming and dream staging. But Kurt's going to run us through the whole five parts here. So this is the pattern that we do. This is the retreat. That our next one is November 4 to 6 down in Coronado Island. Uh, if you want more information on that, we can give you that information. So this is the dream master idea that we work with. It begins with step one, dream storming. This is the experience that helps you to break through the topsoil, helps you move outside of the routine thinking that you have in your relationship to begin to, to go a little bit deeper and to begin to look at some of those deeper desires that you have as an individual and that you have for you as a couple and your family. The second is dream staging. That is the idea that you can't leave here and jump into all of your dreams immediately. We, we need to stage them and look and to see which fits in which season. Because for some of us, there are things that have to happen. We mention our friends who are our age uh, in, in their 60s and, and they're caring for his 100-year-old mother, and they're not waiting for her to die, but they know that some of their dreams cannot be fulfilled until she has been taken care of and steps into eternity. Dream staging, dream linking is the next one. That is the idea that you are partners. You with your spouse and God involved this triune sense of relationship that there is a vision that there is something about us together in this. Dream, oh, sorry. Dream scheming is the fourth category, and that is a, when a, a fantasy becomes a dream, when you begin to put some roots to it and you develop a strategy for it and to think through that. And then the last one is dream teaming, and that is coming together and making it happen. So this morning, what we want to do is to help you to get started in that and to give you just uh, some steps to help plan through that. That's the sheet that you have uh, picked up. If you didn't get one, there's one here, and then there's some in the back there. Uh, and we want to begin with the idea of step one called dream storming. Much like brainstorming, which you often do in other places for creative planning, for creative thinking, it is the collective idea of building off, letting one idea build off of the other. To get to that idea, to open up creativity, to use a tool at a dreaming level that makes you think differently than you normally would. We're going to ask you this afternoon, not this morning, but this afternoon to take that sheet in front of you and to, to set aside just an hour. Uh, we're going to ask you to separate from each other, get a cup of coffee, get a Coke, get a milkshake, whatever it is, a bottle of water, find a private place, separated from each other, take this sheet and just begin to let your mind open. Ask God to open your mind. What are some dreams that you might have for the seasons of head, ahead? Uh, in, the, in your marriage, in your family, what that looks like. 
We've given you four categories on that quadrant. Your marriage, your family, your career, and then your ministry or kingdom influence. Just begin writing some dreams down on that sheet. Some of you are sitting there and going, right. <laughs> uh, we have uh, partnered with uh, Bruce Wilkinson in a book that he has written called The Dream Giver. Dream Giver is an allegory about a character named Ordinary who lives in the town of Familiar. And everything in Ordinary's life happens just like it did yesterday and just like it did the month before and just like it did for the generation before in the town of Familiar. Everything is familiar. And one night, Ordinary is visited by the Dream Giver. And the Dream Giver gives him this idea that there is a dream that is a big dream that is waiting for him. In fact, there are multiple big dreams that are out there for him. If he could just step out of the familiar into some new thinking, and that's what dream storming will help you to do. Ordinary wakes up, and he finds a white feather laying on his windowsill. And he takes the white feather, and he keeps it, and he carries it with him as the reminder that he was made for dreaming. Part of who we are created to be in the image of God is dreamers as God dreams with us and for us as well. But this can feel a little intimidating to some of us because there's usually a dreamer, a <clears throat> strong dreamer in each couplehood. And just point right now to who is this, the big dreamer in your family, right? There's usually one. And so then that other person has a choice to make if they don't necessarily have dreams, then, you know, they're very amiable to join the dreams of the, the stronger dreamer. Uh, I like to say that in our couplehood, Kurt is like a helium balloon. Um, and I, I love that, you know, he, he can think outside of the box. He, he's a, it's amazing to be in a brainstorming situation with him if you don't think you're going to do all the things that he has suggested <laughs> that you're going to do. Um, but I am the string to the helium balloon. Not a hot air balloon. And, and it's not a rope. I, I'm not a wet blanket. But every helium balloon needs a string, doesn't it? Or it's just going to float out into no, Neverland and it's not going to be useful. Uh, so um, this is how we have understood our relationship is that, um, yes, I love the big dreams, and especially now that I've learned how to manage them, how to negotiate them with Kurt. But in the beginning, it was like, okay, well, he has more dreams than I could possibly fulfill in the one lifetime, so, you know, well, let's go with that, you know, kind of thing. And it was really like, do you want me to go ahead with that? Or? Uh, yeah, yeah go right ahead. <laughs> so um, our big dream happened uh, the breakthrough for us, because, you know, we had the dream of the children and the ministry, and, the, and we did all of that um, in sync because we worked together before we got married, and we knew that, that kind of cadence with one another. But I uh, grew up in a family that uh, didn't dream. And, in fact, the mantra on the, uh, for the family was, don't dream things you can't accomplish. That's a failure. And please don't bring embarrassment on our family with failures. And you don't dream. In a situation like that, you, you just, you know, keep your eyes forward and, you know, get at it. So um, I joined this partnership with this big dreamer, and it was exciting and wonderful, but it was also intimidating for me. But on our 20th wedding anniversary, we went to Maui for the first time in Hawaii, and we were there for just a couple of hours, and Kurt turns to me and he says, I, I have an assignment for you this week. I'm thinking, 
I, I left my assignments at home. <laughs> but um, I didn't say that. The Holy Spirit was in charge that day, and I was glad um, because I said, well, I want to hear what that is. And he said, well, you know, for the last 20 years, you've really just poured into our family, poured into our ministry, really joined me in my dreams. And I want to know what are the dreams you have? What are the dreams God has set on your heart for our second half? Because our oldest was going to, away to college at that point. The other two were coming swiftly behind. And I was so moved by that. I was so glad I didn't say something smart aleck because that was... Uh, so was I. It was, it was such a sweetness. Um, it was not how our parents conducted this season of life. And I said, you know, you're the dreamer. And so this is, is like really challenging for me, but it's, it's, I just take it to my heart and it's so beautiful. But give me time. And he said, you have all the time. I just, I just wanted to plant the seed. It's not an assignment with an end date. Um, so, but what was beautiful was um, because he planted that seed, really three days into it, I had a dream. And it, it really was a realization of who I was that I, I had missed through the years because of the home I grew up in as well as the, the intensity of our home. We had a crit critically ill child, as I said, and learning disabilities. There's just, just a lot going. And I said, you know, I think I, I have it. And what it was, was these were points that were on my, my prayer list, things I was talking to God about. And when I had some time of my own to think and pray, he was connecting the dots. And I realized, I do dream. I just dream differently than Kurt. It's not outside the box. It's problem solving. And I, I've been doing that all along. <laughs> That's, I, I'm the nuts and bolts person in this relationship. So I've been doing that all along, and that is dreaming. And it was so empowering for me to realize, that, well, I do dream. And, and bring it the, the dream of what we're doing now, what we've done for the last 22 years, was that dream in um, 97 that God spawned on the beach as I was praying and thinking through, and he, and he also enlightened me that I do dream. It's really impossible that we don't dream. It may be latent. It may be pushed down by some things of your past or things that you need to address in, before the Lord in your relationship with each other, trauma, forgiveness, these sorts of things. But we all were made in the image of God, and dreaming is part of being in the image of God. At our anniversary dinner there in Maui, Rhonda asked me the question, what if God gave us a house big enough, big enough that we could, uh, that we could host couples to come to learn about God's design for marriage, big enough that we could do discipleship and leadership training? And uh, unfortunately, what you're not supposed to do when you're listening to someone's dream is to laugh. And I laughed and I said, yeah, God's going to give us a house big enough. And so for two years, Rhonda and I would, uh, wherever we would go, we would, uh, we would see something. We'd say, oh, we, when we get our bed and breakfast, we're going to decorate it that way. We're going to serve this meal. We're going to have this conversation. It was just dream language between us. We didn't pray about it. We didn't share it with anyone else. Two years, almost to the day that Rhonda shared that dream with me, we got a call from the Christian camp that we met at in uh, college. And on the other end of the line, the question was, hey, would you guys be willing? We just bought a 500-square-foot mountain lodge built in 1928 and just remodeled it with a half a million dollars to create a bed and breakfast to do marriage retreats. Would you guys come and lead it? 
Ladies and gentlemen, we are, were created to dream. We are created in the image of God. And so the idea is, is there are many dreamers in the Bible. Think about all the dreamers in the Bible, uh, from, from Mary, the mother of Jesus, to Daniel, uh, to John, to uh, Ezekiel, to all of the dreamers of the Bible, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter. God designed us from the very beginning, created in the image of God, and then redeemed, redeemed that so that we might be dreamers as we move forward. What we want to do is to just give you a little bit of an idea to open the door for you to begin to think through dreaming. So you need to step, as we said, outside of the box for a minute. Uh, what, what do you see in the picture? Who sees an old woman? Who sees a young woman? Who sees both? Okay, if you look really close here, the old woman is looking away from us here, or looking this direction. Here is her nose, down to her chin. There's a necklace on her, the little That's the fringe around her back. Her the hair sweeps down here. The old woman, where'd she go? Uh, the old woman, here's her eye. She's looking away from us. She's a hag. Listen, open up your perspective. See things differently for yourself and see things differently for your spouse and begin to think through that. And I've touched on this, but you need to clear the roadblocks for dreaming. And um, that is something you do um, before the Lord in prayer. Um, for, so for one of mine would have been uh, and was that my family didn't dream. And in fact, I had this big you know, lockdown on dreaming in my psyche. And I had to write it down on a, on a post-it and keep it in front of me um, in a secret place. You are allowed to dream. In fact, you were made to dream. You have permission to dream. So it might be something else with you. Another thing is, as a very athletic family, uh, we, we were a tennis family. We all played tennis. That was our weekends. And it was really fun. Um, but I had a sister that was an excellent um, tennis player actually played college tennis. And um, when um, we'd get back from tennis games, my dad would just shake his head and say, you're not an athlete, Rhonda. You're just not an athlete. And it was just kind of painful. I just kind of took it in. It's like, well, I'm not as good as, as my sister, but I, I really throw myself into the game, and I really enjoy the game. And I am competing against myself. But the thing that my dad said I wasn't an athlete was, I wasn't competitive. I didn't have the killer instinct. And it's just not in me. You know, I want to have a great game. I want everybody to have fun. <laughs> I want people to feel good about themselves. And uh, so I'm not going to be that person. Um, so, but it took me a long while to realize what it was that he was talking about. And it was that. But I was an athlete, whether he thought I was or not. So I have permission to be an athlete, even at 70. <laughs> so throughout your life, keep a yellow pad like this around where you can just write down, I have permission to, whatever it is, whatever the obstacle is, whatever the block is that God has called you to or that you know that is part of who you ought to be, give yourself permission regardless of what the past has been. Very, very quickly, we're going to take you to the end and introduce just a few more things to help stimulate your thinking. If you think that you're like ordinary in the land of familiar, that you're not a dreamer, some things that will help you this afternoon if you take this tool out to use it. 
First, the idea that we often get to the idea that we think that, dr- that a dream is a noun. I don't have a big dream. What is my dream? The truth is that dreams begin as verbs before they ever become a noun. That is the idea of what do you want to do or what do you love to do? What are some of the activities that motivate you, that stir you, that you do together? A, ver- a dream is a verb before it comes a noun. Begin thinking through that. Look through some of those things. What do you love to do? Travel, paint, arrange, mentor, bike, play, navigate, develop, grandparent, teach, dream, educate, uh, orchestrate. All of those things are activities. Write a list this afternoon of what are the things that I like to do? What are the things that we like to do? What are the verbs that would describe who we are? Begin thinking in that creative realm. Give yourself permission. Begin to think about who you are. Think about who you are. What are your spiritual gifts? Write down your spiritual gifts. I'm a a pastor, teacher, shepherd, uh, exhorter. Those are the things that that just fit me and and go, go really well with my personality and what God has designed me to do. What would those look like if I look at, place those into the next season or three seasons from now? How would those stimulate the dreams that I have? What about your strengths? What, what are your, I don't know how many of you know the Strengths Finder profile, a great place to step into, but just sit down and write, what are the things that I'm really good at? What are my strengths? What are my personality strengths? Some of the other things that you might want to look at as well is, is that idea of personality. If you know the Enneagram, what's my Enneagram number? What's my Myers-Briggs or my di- disc? Am I an extrovert or an introvert? Am I rational in my thinking? Am I intuitive? What, what and how do I think and then begin to bring that all together? And then one other category that's not in a, in a word cloud, and that is the idea that says, um, what are you passionate about? What makes you pound the table? When you're listening to talk radio and you hear something, man, what gets you all fired up? When you're listening to Christian radio and you're going, it shouldn't be like that or it should be like that. What are your passions? Let your passions inform and guide your dreams as well. So this afternoon, what we're going to do is encourage you to take this sheet out, spend an hour separated from each other, fill it out. The instructions are in the bottom. I'm going to give you just a few more instructions, and then we're going to ask you to come back and to share those with each other sometime, either this afternoon, this evening, or before the the meeting tomorrow morning, so that by the time you leave, you can choose one of those dreams and say, hey, wouldn't it be great if we could begin thinking seriously about this in the next season of our marriage? Mm -hmm. One of the things that's really... Before we show that, I would just like to say it's really important how you share these dreams with one another because it can be conflictual and we don't want it to be so we're trying to guard against that for you so these are important instructions one is your words are only seven percent of your communication 93 percent are turning away tone really that's what you want to do with your life you know those kinds of things uh, it could be, really, that's what you want to do with your life? Or, really, <laughs> you want to do that with your life? Uh, those kinds of things are going to send you in a, a space that you don't want to go. And is, it's not uh, validating to the other person. So really think about that before you share your dreams with one another, that you want to be validating. Even though they won't be the, maybe the thing that you run with, validate it. Because it is your mate, the person you love the most in life's dream. Well, I was going to go backwards and, and give you a little more information. So what, what we're going to do is we're going to hang around. 
and uh, answer any questions that you have on that sheet. The, the instructions are at the bottom. Uh, what you're going to do is you're going to start with uh, the, the one that a dream comes easiest, one, the quadrant that a dream comes easiest for you, marriage, family, uh, career, or, or kingdom, or ministry. And then you're just going to write a dream in there. If all of a sudden you're stuck, go to the next one, or the next one, or the next one. Get up and take a little bit of a walk. Think of these ideas that we've just talked about. Let those be a stimulus. We will be, we will be around at meals. We'll be available afterwards to answer questions. Then we encourage you to put a star by those that, are, that are really stand out to you and underline one that might be something you could step into. We are, we're at our closing time, but I'm going to show you just a, hope it's not a very quick video. I'm going to ask you to cooperate by when the video is done and I give you one last word. We move as quickly as we can over to the, to the uh, Ponderosa for our time. This is, yes. Are those books for sale? Ah, yes. yes. There are copies of The Dream Giver for $15. If you're interested in, uh, in our book, uh, which is a theology of marriage in changing times, uh, that's something you might want to pick up as well. Those are $20, and uh, Melinda will help you with that. So, um, so again, if you feel like you just kind of need to get something done before you get over there, it's just a fun way to look at the idea. What does it look like when we begin to share our dreams with each other? I think. Oh, there's my sheet there. Oh, it backed up on me. That's what it did. Oh. Can you click on that for me, Andre? It might not show since we transferred it. Great. Thanks, Andre. We'll come back to that another time. Let me pray for you right now. And again, just let you know, we're available. Uh, we've dumped a ton on you. Our goal, our goal is that this would just break the topsoil uh, for you to begin to think through what does it look like for us to not only enjoy each other in this season, but in the seasons to come. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for, uh, thank you for your deep wisdom to know that we could not do life alone. And you created for us a particular, specific mate, that person right next to us. Father, you brought them into our lives. You allowed our passion to move us to the place that says, I want to risk the rest of my life with you and so much that I want to commit myself to you for the rest of my life. So then at this point, Father, now give us the, the wisdom and give us the courage and give us the creativity to think and to dream and to live by faith in what you have before us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We'll answer questions. Books up here if you want that. And uh, we'll be around.